0: Usually on this podcast, we have at least two voices per episode. We find that people want to listen more. It's easier for them to pay attention when it's not just monotone, not just one voice speaking. However, we also felt like it was necessary to be able to respond to what has happened in our community over the past week. Dr. Thomas plans on coming on with me, and I hope to have him on next week. We'll talk about the theology of all of this. Why is it that God would allow such a thing like these floods to happen? Where is he? How does this fit in his divine plan? How should we respond in prayer, helping one another? But I just wanted to take a few moments to talk from a practical perspective. What is it that we do for one another? How do we respond to one another? How do we think through crisis as we find one another in crisis in something like this? Well, let me start with that crisis comes in multiple phases. There's the initial phase. That initial phase lasts somewhere between 24 to 96 hours. It's when something just happened. It's, it's the day or so after uh, after the flood when you realize that you've lost everything. This is a time of shock and disbelief. It can be difficult to make decisions. It's a time of shock and disbelief. It's a time of shock and disbelief. Hard to know uh, what to do or where to go of a crisis. As those who respond to people who are in crisis, the best thing that we can do is to be directive. It's hard for them to make decisions in moments like this. And so you want to make sure that the basic necessities of life are taken care of. You're going to direct them and where to go for shelter, what to do for food, for clothing. You're going to get all the basic necessities of life taken care of. In the bigger picture, you're going to want to help them to tell their story, what it was like for them, their fears, their concerns, their hurts, their heartaches. But but right there in that moment, in that 24 to 96-hour window, what you really want to do is you just want to give them guidance. There's actually a phenomenon that's going on here from a neurobiology standpoint. I'm going to be overly simplistic for sure. Uh, But nonetheless, what tends to happen is that the logical linear side of our brain, that particular hemisphere, is different from the hemisphere that tends to be more emotional. In crisis like this, our emotions are so high and so driven that the other side of our brain, the logical linear side, doesn't get as much activity. So it's hard for us to make logical, linear decisions in moments of crisis, which is why those who respond, those who are helpers, those who aren't in the midst of losing everything, uh, we're the ones who give direction. Now, once you get past that initial phase, that 96-hour window or so, then you begin the process of grief, really. And it's not always helpful. I'm sure that there will be more helpful models of grief in years to come. But for now, we tend to use a five-stage model of grief where you have denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and ultimately acceptance. As a helper, your goal is really to get people um, and help them move through these stages, you don't drive them. You don't tell them that they need to get to acceptance. You listen to them. You walk alongside of them. They may wander here and there from denial to anger. They, they may find themselves in the midst of depression. And you just want to be there. It's about presence and not perfection. Don't worry about saying the perfect thing. Just, just be there so that you can say something. You, you want to be there for them. Helping them to tell their story actually helps them to use kind of both sides of their brain. Like we were just talking about when you get so emotional, you only use one side. Well, when we talk, what we do is we use language sides and emotional sides. Those are also tend to be on opposite sides. And so when we tell our story, when we talk about it, we we bring those two pieces together and more and more people begin to feel like they own this crisis rather than the crisis owning them. The crisis doesn't drive their behavior but rather it can inform their behavior which is where we would want them. One of the questions that people have is how do they get people to talk in the midst of events like this? Simple questions really. One of the questions that is most helpful to ask is, what was the worst part of this for you? You see, when you ask that question, you're asking them to flip through and to find one specific thing. If you just ask the broad question, how's it going? How's this been on you? It's difficult for them to find even one piece to to pull off when you ask the question what's been the most difficult thing it doesn't have to be entirely accurate they can come back and they can respond with one piece and then later come back and say oh you know what this piece over here was actually more difficult that's fine but what it does is it helps them to narrow their scope of focus and say you know what was the most difficult the most difficult thing was walking away not knowing if i would ever see my stuff again Uh, or the most difficult thing was in those five minutes as we were trying to grab stuff and not knowing if we were going to make it out with our lives the most difficult thing was hearing how much it was going to cost how little uh, insurance was going to help us pay whatever it is but they're able to focus on just one piece and begin to talk about that one piece while they don't understand it they may not realize that you're actually helping them You're helping them to begin to find places that you can pray for them, that they can minister to themselves, and you begin to help them to feel like they have some measure of control in the midst of this crisis. Another thing you want to do is you want to help make sure that they're being healthy in all four aspects of their personal life. Biologically, Um, spiritually, mentally, socially. Oftentimes in the midst of crisis like this, people allow, especially their physical state, to degrade. They'll pump themselves full of caffeine and junk food, anything that can help sustain them because the crisis needs them to stay sustained. And so they give up the long term for the short term. And what happens is is that over time, they begin to lose sleep. Uh, Their body has less and less resources to actually fight things like infection, to combat the sort of stress mentally and fatigue that they would have. Uh, So you need to make sure that they have a plan for the physical aspect of their life, to make sure that they are taken care of, they have a place to rest their head, that they have food, food. Shelter, all of that, and that they're using it well, and they don't let this affect them too much in that area because that can really be a doorway for further depression and anxiety. Secondly, that they have a plan for how they're going to keep um, mentally, psychologically healthy. Now, this can be a tricky piece because what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to think that whoever has lost the most, they are the ones who are mentally hurting the most. But that's not necessarily true. By disposition or by upbringing or by context, some people are just more resilient than others. And so someone who has lost less may be hurting more. Uh, So you need to be able to do an evaluation and tell just by... How much they are reaching out and needing you, um, their ability to make good and right wise decisions, how much psychological care this person needs. Some people just need uh, a person to come alongside them, to talk with them on occasion, to help them think through their decisions, um, to bring good, right wise biblical counsel to their lives. And that's all that they really need. Um, But there are going to be other people who are going to need more professional uh, resources, something like a counselor or a therapist, uh, and you'll want to try and help them get set up there. In the middle ground, you'll have people and you might just want to put a book in their hand, uh, something that helps them as they try to make their way through, something encouraging that would encourage them in the midst of a crisis that they can lean on, trust, and love the Lord. Uh, If you have questions about that or you want recommendations, feel free to email us here, uh, 1A at FirstPressColumbia.org. So you also want to make sure that they don't isolate themselves. So there was um, physical, there's mental, there's social, the social aspect of them. And again, people are wired differently here. Some people need a lot of social interaction with a lot of people. Other people just need one or two people to come alongside them intimately. And so you're going to be wanting to look for clues and keys for how this particular person is geared. Do they need frequent social interaction with a large number, or are they more an intimate one-on-one type of person? Whichever they are, you're going to want to help them think through how they're going to continue to get that social interaction so they don't just find themselves isolated in the midst of this terrible crisis. So there's uh, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. We are not just bodies, but we are souls. And our souls live by the bread, which is the word of God. So you want to make sure that they continue to put themselves under the word of God. Now, in times like this, it's difficult. They find themselves with a much lower appetite for it, an inability to concentrate on it and receive it. And yet they need it now more than ever. So you may have to come up with creative ways, things like going through a Bible study with them, something short, uh, something that's not very intense, maybe, something that doesn't require a ton of concentration and yet gets them into the Word regularly. Also, you want to make sure that they are experiencing something of the love of Christ in their church, that the people are coming around them and taking care of them. I am so proud of our people in the midst of this, to see hundreds of people mobilized to take care of one another, it is really encouraging as a minister to be able to see that. Um, And I know encouraging to those families who have been hurting to be ministered to in such a way. But you'll want to help them come up with a plan so that they continue to be plugged into the church. They continue to come to worship, that they don't allow the fact that they may not have the sort of clothes that they're used to wearing, uh, keep them from coming to worship, the worries about uh, money and about what others may think or say, whatever it might be, any impediment that might be there that would keep them from worship, you want to help take that away. They need to be in corporate worship, and they need to be in the fellowship with the believers. So... Um, Let me just recap quickly. What I would say then, as we respond, you really want to help people understand which phase they're in. Are they in that first 96-hour phase or are they in that later phase? If they're in the first 96-hour phase, you want to be the one directing them, telling them what to do. You want to be intervening for them because it's hard for them to do it themselves. As you get to that latter portion you want to begin to help them to tell their story, give control back to them, but help them to work through it. And you do it with a plan, a plan so that all four aspects of their personhood are taken care of. I hope that this off-topic kind of quick take episode has been helpful for you guys. Please feel free to contact us. Again, you can contact us via Twitter, via email, or via phone. Listen to our outro for that contact information or go to our website, org forward slash 1A. Again, that's firstprescolumbiaorg forward slash 1A. And next week, I hope to get Derek on here and allow him to think through this with us from a theological side.